Welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair, Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. My name is Jennifer Roach. So glad you are with us today. Today, we are going to talk about worthiness. As you know, we are going through the Come Follow Me readings and addressing common questions that evangelicals ask about our faith as we go along. Our purpose here is not to fuel debate or to help you be contentious with them, but to help you understand where your evangelical friends and family members might be coming from so that you can have better conversations with them and perhaps be able to offer them a little bit of the unique gifts that our faith has to bring. So a common question from evangelicals is why does our church spend so much time and energy being judgy? Meaning, why do we care about worthiness? Why is that a thing? Why do we sometimes say our bishops are judges in Israel? Can't we just follow Jesus's words and <clears throat> refrain from all the judgment? That, that's something how the question goes. Today, we the text that we're taking this from is Luke chapter 6, um, verse 37. Jesus says, do not judge. And you will not be judged, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned, forgive, and you will be forgiven. So we're going to take a look at what is all the judgment stuff about in our church? <clears throat> How can you understand what your evangelical friends are actually asking you with that question and offer an answer that might actually be helpful for them and help them see some things about our faith that might become inspiring to them? So this, this is just a huge issue, and there is not time in a video like this to parse through all of it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of just hit the top of it. The, the parts that evangelicals would be most likely to worry about, and they do worry about it. If you remember a couple of videos back, we talked about the history of the evangelical movement and how they can kind of be considered double Protestants, because they come from this tradition which protested against the Catholic Church. That's, that's how Protestants came to be. And then the evangelicals do it again. They protest against their own Protestant nature, where they want to um, democratize the church. They want to take away all the barriers. They want to um, have it so everybody can, can have equal and easy access to God. This part of the conversation is really about um, they're protesting their Protestantness against the Catholic church. Um, here, here, hear me out, hear me out on this part. An evangelicals understanding of what is happening in the Catholic church is that the priest has set himself up as God's agent who directly forgives sins or refuses to forgive them, and that people have no direct access to God. Evangelicals see a Catholic's prayers to Mary in this same way. They're praying to Mary when they should just be praying directly to Jesus. Now, that is not what's happening in Catholic theology. All of you who have a Catholic background, you can take a deep breath. I know that that is not what is happening in Catholic theology. However, that's what evangelicals largely think is happening. And in reaction to that, in reaction to what they think is happening, um, they have developed some theology around that that says only God can judge and no human ever 
should be involved in that process. It's a direct process between the individual and God. It happens in quiet, secret prayer with no one else knowing. That is how issues of repentance and forgiveness are always, always, always to be taken care of in their view. It, and I don't know if you feel like I do, but I feel like that is such an unfortunate overreaction to their misunderstanding of what Catholics are doing. Because what happens is the individual is left utterly alone to try and repent and change and grow. There's no communal support for how to repent. They've created a culture where for what they think is good reasons, they think is really important reasons, um, they themselves want to be the ones who take down the barriers to Christ. And yet inadvertently, in some ways, they're putting them up here. Right? They're, they're, they're really in a, a difficult muddle on this. So how does it work for them? <laughs> I'm going to give you my best shot at explaining it in a fair way. Um, if you are a Latter-day Saint, you know how it works in our church. Let me try to explain how it works in evangelical churches. You, If you remember from our previous video, um, evangelicals place a really, really high value on the conversion experience or saying the sinner's prayer. Not all Protestants function this way, but at least historically, the evangelicals have the entire point of everything is to get someone to say the sinner's prayer. And what happens next after that varies greatly, depending upon the particular church. Some churches are content to pretty much stop there. Um, oh, they certainly want people to keep attending and, and keep growing and, and, and serving and things like that. Um, but for the most part, not much else is expected of them because they've already done the thing. And the thing is to say the prayer. One hugely popular evangelical author that you probably have heard of says that it's like going around the bases in baseball. And once you've gotten to home plate, you've done the thing. The, it, it's over for you. And your only role, your only job at that point is to kind of cheer your teammates on as they try to make it to home plate. And you might be able to assist in some way, but for you, the work is done. And that's sort of how evangelicals function. Um, there, it, there is an understanding for evangelicals that sin is a thing and that sin should be confessed, but that is a very private thing to be done alone on purpose. No one else is involved in their thinking because that's putting a barrier between you and God. They don't even really have a conceptualization of getting help in repentance, because if you ask for help, you were probably told, go pray about that in private, confess your sins and move on. What's the problem? As if that's always the simplest thing. The best case scenario is that this is a system which fosters some self-reliance. It fosters um, asking people to grow up in their own relationship with God and um, confess their own sins and, and kind of be able to take care of themselves. And in the worst case scenario, it leaves people without much help or hope on how to discuss difficult issues when they know what they should be doing and can't quite bring themselves to do it. There just isn't much help on repentance. So when your evangelical friend or family member learns that our church requires adults and teenagers to sit for worthiness interviews, or sometimes that we call our bishops a judge in Israel, 
their defenses are going to be pretty high. They're going to be, they're going to walk into that conversation pretty skeptical. They are worried that we're doing unnecessary gatekeeping, leaving people separated from God unnecessarily. Interestingly enough, we sort of both have the same worry about each other here. We worry a bit about them abandoning people to have to do every single act of repentance in complete isolation with no help ever, that that would separate people from God. And they worry that we're causing people to feel abandoned by God because we're putting another human in there as a barrier. We, Oddly enough, we, we both come at each other with almost the same worry on this. And at the end of the day, we both want the same thing for people to repent from their sins and grow in holiness. Evangelicals wouldn't quite, they wouldn't say it that way, but that's what they want ultimately. And it's still, it seems kind of hard for, for many Latter-day Saints to explain why we do what we do with worthiness. And I certainly don't have the definitive answer on that, but I do have some thoughts um, especially as a person who used to be an evangelical and has recently had to, to struggle through like, wait, what is, what is this? What are we doing? Um, so the, these are my thoughts, not the definitive answer. Maybe you have had this experience. I certainly have. If the topic of worthiness interviews comes up, your evangelical friend is going to look at you like you are a crazy person for voluntarily submitting to, to any of that. They're going to think you have handed over your autonomy and they will probably quote Jesus's words at you. Judge not, least you be judged. But is that number one, what Jesus is actually saying? And number two, what's actually going on here? So in my day job, I'm a mental health therapist. So I sit and talk with people all day. And and oddly enough, this question comes up a lot about judgment. Now, aren't, aren't I supposed to be non-judgmental? A, a client will say that. So if I have a client and they've been participating in a certain activity or spending time with a certain person and that activity or that person turns out to be not that good for them, um, they leave that person's presence feeling more anxious. Let's say that, or they have some other bad consequence from spending their time a certain way. If I, as their therapist, suggest that they might want to reconsider who they spend their time with and how it makes them feel, I am often met with the objection of, well, I, I can't judge them. And I mean, honestly, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> when I go to the grocery store, I say I go to the grocery store and I want to buy a piece of salmon. I have some choices to make, right? I can buy the piece that looks like it came off the boat that morning, or I can buy a piece that looks like it has been sitting in that case for about five weeks. Buying the fresh fish has one set of consequences for me, and buying the five-week-old fish also has a different set of consequences for me, and I get to choose the consequences that I would like. These days, I know exactly how to go to the store and notice the signs of freshness in a piece of salmon. I didn't always, somebody had to point them out to me, but today I can properly judge which piece of fish is going to give me the consequences that I want. Am I judging the salmon? Am I judging the fish? 
Well, yeah, I mean, sort of, but what I'm really judging is the consequences of my own actions. The topics that come up in a worthiness interview are, they're kind of the same thing. Let me, let me actually use an old example to explain what I mean. Um, you probably know the worthiness questions have changed over time. And a previous version of those questions asked members if they had stolen irrigation water from their neighbor. That one caught my attention when I read it because I grew up in this agricultural area where irrigation water was and still is fiercely debated. Stealing water that does not belong to you is going to cause some bad consequences for you. Um, you will overplant crops because you think you've got the water to water them. And when you get caught stealing irrigation water, they're going to cut you off and all those extra crops you planted are going to die. Bad consequences if you are a farmer. It, it's a little bad for your neighbor if you steal their irrigation water. Their crops are going to die. Um, frankly, it's bad for the entire ecosystem if you are taking more than your share of, of irrigation water. I don't have time to explain all of that. Trust me, it's not, it's not good for the environment. So if we're looking at a behavior called stealing irrigation water, we can demonstrate how it will have negative effects on the individual and the community. It will be negative, negative in the same way that eating a bad piece of fish from the store will be negative. In our modern worthiness interviews, when you are asked, do you live the law of chastity? Is that an improper use of judgment? Is your bishop sitting across from you judging you in the way that we would say, like, don't be judgy? Or even in the way Jesus is talking about, do not judge. Or is this designed to help people consider the consequences of their actions and decide if those actions are going to be good or bad for them and for their neighbors? I, I think most members would say this is what the intention is and what worthiness interviews function as a question about considering the consequences. Infidelity, as our example, is an act that's not only bad for the two people in private, it's an act that impacts every single person that they love and have influence over. And those consequences, the natural, normal consequences of infidelity are far more devastating than eating a bad piece of fish, right? This, this isn't, we want to judge which are good humans and which are bad humans, a worthiness interview is let's talk about behaviors that are not going to be good for you demonstrably so so despite the fact that your evangelical friends or family members largely are left to confess sin in private they could probably see the benefit of a worthiness conversation when we think about them this way the the word judgment has a bad reputation these days and and probably for some good reasons, but we're left without a better word to explain what's happening in those interviews. It, it, in this topic, worthiness interviews, my mind often goes to teenagers, to the youth. Youth in evangelical churches, they're going to be expected to sustain some form of chastity. It, there's a little bit of variation on that, but for the most part, the expectations on that for them are the same. 
but they don't have a vehicle to talk about it (laughs) and to potentially get some help over repenting on issues. It's an incredible burden to place on a teenager and then tell them they have to manage their repentance alone. In this sense, the very concept of worthiness interviews is similar to teaching somebody how to pick a good fish at the market. It's not the kind of judgment that tells the person, well, you're a bad person for having done that. It's the kind of judgment that helps them discern which outcomes they would like to have and what behaviors give them the best chance at those outcomes. So I hope this conversation is helpful for you to talk about some of these things with your evangelical friends or family members. The unique gift that our church has in this realm is that we regularly provide a private place for every member to have a private chat with one of their local leaders to think through these things. And not even just limited to worthiness interviews. You can go to your bishop as issues come up if there is trouble repenting on your own. If you've grown up in the church, you might not realize how rare that option is. Your your evangelical friends and family members don't have access to that kind of support. There there may be a few exceptions, but for the most part, they don't have it as an option. And at the larger churches, their pastor doesn't even know their name, certainly doesn't know how their family is doing or how that individual is managing the challenges of life. Even though conversations with with your evangelical friends or family around worthiness or or judgment might feel a little uncomfortable, we have an incredible gift that we are given this kind of support on a regular basis. So join us next week. We'll take up another evangelical question. If you have a specific question you'd like to see answered, shoot me an email, jennifer at fairlatterdaysaints.org, and I'll see you next time.